0: I'm going to test you a little bit this morning, uh, see how, dext, uh, how, how, how how your dexterity is. So if you have a Bible, I don't know how you're going to do this if you have a smartphone. You're going to do a lot of, a lot of going back and forth. But with one thumb, if you would open to Genesis chapter 12, right, and keep, keep that thumb there, and then go back to Hebrews chapter 11, all right, and keep a thumb in that place as well. So we're going to go back and forth between those two uh, places this morning. Um, and then, like, this is going to separate. Like the the men from the boys, all right. If you if you're able to open a third time to Colossians chapter two, Um, that one will be on the screen uh, if you have the ability that I have, and it's very limited. So Genesis 12, Hebrews 11 uh, is where we're going to be today. We are in this series or back in this series called What Is Faith and. It's such a simple question. It's a short question. Uh, and it's something that we should all have a solid grasp of, but sadly we don't. Uh, about what is biblical faith? What is saving faith? And a lot of the problem comes because the, the original word for faith in Hebrew and Greek right, can be used in multiple ways. For us, the word we use for faith can only be a noun, it can't be a verb. But but in Scripture, in both the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek, the word for faith can be both. And it can be used in both ways. So when we're reading in our English Bibles, and thank God that we have English Bibles to help us understand God's Word, when we come upon a place where pistos or or pistion or or any of those words that are are rooted in the biblical word for faith is used as a verb, it's translated almost every time, believe. And for us, believe has sort of a small meaning, a small window for what it means to believe. But in Scripture, right, it has this big meaning. It's more than just an accumulation and a be able to recall of facts about something that we believe in. It encompasses so much more. So the question of what is faith becomes this bigger and bigger question. And a lot of us, I believe, walk around with only a partial understanding of what true biblical faith means. And I say that because 51 years, and I don't remember the first several years, but, but 41 years of walking around on this planet, um, the, it's easy to see people who confess a faith in Jesus Christ with their mouth, their lives just don't back it up. And, and we talk a lot about like the outside influences and the negative effects that it has on Christianity and, and how it's trying to push Christianity to, to the sidelines. Church, there is nothing more detrimental to the Christian faith than Christians who profess a faith in Jesus, but then live lives as if Jesus never existed at all, as if he is not the ruler of their life. Much more detrimental than anything that culture can throw at us. So it's very important that we understand what biblical faith is. It's remarkably hard, It's a remarkably hard concept to define because saving faith is much, much more than a one-time surrender, a one-time crying out to God in a moment of need, please save me, please rescue me. It is that. But it is so, so much more, and we have to be able to understand that. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, which is sort of the basis for uh, today and next week. Paul writes there to the church in Colossae. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ, and we've read this before. And a few weeks ago, we talked about what it meant, what it means when we receive Christ. Like the, the, the running back taking the handoff from the quarterback, um, the, the excited child, Running up and grabbing that gift uh, from expectant gift from 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 a loved one, right? And we talked about everything that 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 we receive in that moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are brought from death to life. We're made into a new creation. We have all we need for life and godliness. Our sins are not counted against us anymore. We are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We're no longer enemies of God. We are now sons and daughters of God. (coughs) Excuse me. And we have this inheritance set aside for us that is sure, and it cannot be diminished or defiled. So Colossians chapter 2, therefore, as you received Christ, uh, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about what this means, and if if we have a biblical faith, if we have a saving faith, what does that even mean, and what does that look like? Saving faith is something that's easier to illustrate at times than it is to explain or define. And that's why when you come to Scripture, a lot of the best pictures of saving faith come at the end of these long narratives where we read about the lives and the activities and the actions and even the consequences of disobedience of these heroes of faith. And then we see tucked in. This example of faith. That's really what Hebrews 11 is all about. It's the Cliff Notes version of Genesis 12 on, about all these heroes of faith. And we get a snapshot from Abraham and other people of what saving faith looks like. And looking at them as a whole, we might choose to define saving faith in the following way. Saving faith is believing God enough to go. Abraham is often referred to as the father of our faith. And his story illustrates this this, this excellent faith that we should imitate and desire to have. Paul said that in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, there's power in that statement. And what we talk about when we talk about righteousness, when we accept Christ, uh, when we have faith in Christ, we, we get the righteousness of Christ. And what, what Paul is talking about here is, is much, much more than, than Abraham believing in some things about God. It's, it, it's Abraham believing in God and his, his life reflecting that belief. The story of Abraham is our go-to resource when we are attempting to understand what biblical faith is. Genesis chapter 12, right, if you are there. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting in verse number 1, Right? The Bible says this. Now, the Lord said to Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in, all, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse number four, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Now, you have to really, really believe in something or someone to do what Abram did in this instant. He left his hometown, his, his, his country. He left his family. He left everything that he had accumulated. He left influence and, and, and power and comfort. And he left because God told him to. And, and God, God promised, right, that, 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 that if you go, you're going to be a blessing. Hebrews 11 captures it this way. Hebrews 11 and verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out of a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, as he went out, not knowing where he was going. Now, it's one thing if God says, hey, Tony, I want you to go to Florida. All right, I can go. Beaches, no more cold winters. I can do that. I can pull that off. Hey, Tony, I want you to go to Cincinnati. I can do that. Did that before. Lived that in the area. I got to go see the Reds play a game or two. I can do that. Tony, I want you to go. Where? I just want you to go. That's what he said to Abraham. Abraham, I just want you to go. Not not I want you to go here, take a left, and and go 100 miles, and you're going to end up here. I'll tell you later. I just need you to go. That takes faith. and A faith that doesn't move us or change us isn't a real faith. Right? What's that look like for us? For, for Abraham, it was saying it was just packing up and moving. But what's that look for, like for us today in 2023? Church, a lot of times we become paralyzed in our lives because, because God has blessed us so immensely right, that we become paralyzed in where we are. Right? How can I go? I can't leave all this behind. It's taken me 30 years of working hard to get to this point. I just can't leave that behind. My my, my kid's a senior next year. I can't uproot him and take off right now. Later, I'll go. And we're paralyzed. My my, my support system is here. I can't leave. I can't go across the country, across the globe. We're paralyzed in the good things that God has given us. To the point that we're not able to go. And you know what? Sometimes he's not even asking us to go across the country or across the globe. He's asking us to go across the street. He's asking us to go across the bridge into Marietta. He's asking us just to go. And as we go, make disciples. But we, come, we become so paralyzed in the comfort that is a blessing from God that we are unable to go. Saving faith is, is believing God enough that when he says go we go. Saving faith is trusting God enough to wait. He just said go. Sometimes trusting God is, saving faith is trusting God enough to wait. In Genesis 12, God made this promise to Abraham that he would be a great nation. Only a small problem. Abraham is already an old man and his wife is barren cannot have kiddos, but, but Abraham, though, he, 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 he believes in these promises, and he rearranges his whole life in order to receive them. However, for a long time, not much happened in the promise-fulfilling department. So you, by chapter 15, Abraham, Abraham is 10 years older, and his wife is just as barren as she was back in chapter 12. And, and Abraham starts to think, well, maybe I misunderstood. So he goes to God and says, hey, God, you may have forgot about this, but I have some kinfolk over in Damascus. His name is Eliezer. Maybe he is supposed to be uh, the answer to this promise. He is, he, he, you're going to fulfill, you're going to make me a great nation through my kin, Eliezer. And God says, nah not the plan, that you're my plan, just be patient. A little bit later, God. after another time of, of, of inactivity in that, in that moment, Abraham starts to take things into his own hands and, and he takes the advice of Sarah, his wife, and they, she says, hey, what about Hagar? Maybe you could fulfill this promise through Hagar. We could adopt that child, and that's the lineage that God will make us a great nation. Now, I don't know if you ever imagine God just shaking His head at you. I think He shakes His head at me quite a bit. Right. This has to be one of those moments where God is shaking His head at Abraham, and like Abraham, I made a promise to you. I'm going to fulfill it through you. It's not through Hagar. It's not through Ishmael. Now God in his lovingness, right, takes care of Ishmael, takes care of Hagar, but he rebukes Abraham, right? And then a little bit later he says, ah, okay, I'm going to come back in a year. And when I come back in a year, you're going to have a kiddo. And you know what happens? He comes back in a year, they have a kiddo. Abraham is a hundred years old, right? Sarah gives birth to a son, right? Isaac, Right? And, and God, through all of this, is a picture of waiting and the consequences for not waiting. Right, Go back and read Ishmael right, and then sort of trace Ishmael from that point throughout and see what happens when we step outside of God's plan for our lives. But in this season of Abraham's life, we get a picture of what it means to have a saving faith that, that trusts God uh, uh, enough to wait. Right? And that's what saving faith is. Not grasping or reaching outside or not trying to create for ourselves, but waiting on God. What's that look like for us today? I don't know about you guys, but for me, I far too often like to get the cart in front of the horse. I I think God is telling me something, and man, that sounds great. And I just, I take off running. And I want to get there as quickly as I can. And it's like running out into the ocean. And you get up to about right here and you realize, "Uh, I may have made a mistake. And you try to backpedal and, and, and walk yourself back. It's because I didn't pray about it. I didn't seek godly counsel about it. I didn't line it up against scripture. And before I know it, I'm in up to my neck. Because I didn't wait on God's perfect timing. When, when Abraham gets himself in trouble, it's when he's not waiting on God's perfect training timing. Saving faith is fearing God enough to sacrifice. Abraham has a son, long waited for son Isaac. The climax of his life. He, he stepped out in faith in Genesis 12. Took a long time for Isaac to, to get here. And then God says in, in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham... Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. And then we have Abraham's response, which just might be the greatest illustration of faith in the entire Bible. Abraham takes that long-waited for, that loved son, and he gets up early. Genesis 22, 3. He arose early uh, in, in the morning, and has saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and rose and went to the place that God had told him. And it seems such a response seems impossible to believe. First of all, how could God ask this? Right? How how could God ask something so audacious? Right? Take your son. And then how can Abraham respond the way he did by obeying? God promised Abraham a son, and now God is demanding that son be returned to him. How can this be a part of the plan? And I, can, I almost guarantee you, Abraham did not know how this was going to play out. But you know what he did? He may not have known the plan, but he had faith in God. And his response is he did exactly what he was told. He took his son to the top of the mountain, built an altar, altar put the wood on there, and was getting ready to bring the knife down on his son when God yells at him, Abraham, Abraham. And I don't know about you, but I mean, Abraham's got to be sweating profusely. And I imagine like that, that, that if he didn't pitch the knife, right, I don't, uh, God provided a sacrifice. I sort of imagine Abraham had to go looking for the knife. Um, because he was so excited that God got his attention. Here I am, Abraham said. He said, "Don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him." For now, I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham obeyed, and here we say the fear. See the fear of God led him. To obey. So we don't talk too much about the fear of God anymore, or fearing God, because we have God as this. We either see God as this loving uh, guy or this 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 very uh, 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 anti-fun guy. So so we have we don't live in the fear of God, and a lot of times we try to pass that away. Like all fear is just awe and reverence and worship. It is that, but until you can fear God for what He can do, what He can rightfully do. You can't truly worship him or love what he has given to you. So, so here we have a fear that, that, that leads Abraham to sacrifice that which is most precious to him. How's that look today? Thankfully, right, it doesn't look like me raising a knife above my kiddos to, to sacrifice them to the Lord. He has not asked us to do anything like that. So what's that look like today? Right? For some of us, right, it's, it, it's the, the, the the worshipful attitude that comes at the time of giving. Right? Some of us like our white knuckling that check or, or white knuckling uh, that, that envelope as we drop it into the basket, right? because we're thinking, I, I I I got a bill to pay, I I got bills mounting. I don't know if I can tithe this week. I don't, I don't know if I can sacrifice to this amount. Some of us have, have become so, so, so embedded in our comfort that we're not willing to sacrifice that to, to step outside and to serve other people or to go when God tells us to go. Some of us have, have worked hard to get the position that we have in the place that we are employed and we're not ready to give up on that yet. We're not willing to sacrifice that yet. Some of us uh, like the control that we have over our lives. We think we're doing a pretty good job of of holding things together, and we're not ready to give that up. We're not willing to sacrifice that yet. But biblical faith is is fearing God enough for us to sacrifice ridiculously in all aspects of our life. Saving faith is desiring God enough to pursue when you look at Abraham, he pursued. Hebrews chapter 11 again tells us that by faith he went, right, as, a, as, as in a foreign land, living in tents. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and whose builder is God, but he didn't know where he was going, right? He, 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 he left. He pursued God. He wasn't pursuing a spot on the map. He wasn't pursuing riches. He was pursuing God, When he could not see where he was going, he had faith in the promises of God. Jesus spoke about this the same way um, because many in Abraham's day weren't pursuing this way. Many in Jesus' days weren't uh, uh, pursuing this way. In Luke chapter 13, he says that not many are going to enter. Not many are going, uh, you might seek at it a little bit, but you don't have the, the ability, you don't have the desire to pursue to the end. It's not mere wanting, it's striving, it's fighting, it's pursuing, it's taking hold of God and never letting go. That is saving faith. Saving faith is loving God enough to endure. And Abraham's life is a picture of endurance. called to leave his homeland. He took the leftovers after he let his his family choose the best property in which to to farm and to raise sheep. He he was constantly rescuing his family from bad decisions and, and choosing poorly. He waited a long time for Isaac to come on to the scene, and all the while he is pursuing, pursuing, and pursuing. Hebrews 11 gives us a a view into other men and women who were pursuing as well, Uh, other than Abraham. We have Moses in chapter 11 of Hebrews in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ. That's pretty interesting that he's talking about Moses and the reproach of Christ. He's an Old Testament character and Jesus isn't coming onto the scene physically for for hundreds of years. He considered the reproach of Christ greater of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses left his adopted mother and abandoned a life of privilege in order to endure a life of obedience as one of God's chosen. And it, but it's not just big names. It's not just Moses who, who was rich and walked away from it. It's not just Abraham whose name is all over scripture. It's anybody and everybody who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And those guys are mentioned uh, in Hebrews 11 as well. If you skip down to verse 35 it says, some, this unnamed group of people, some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life others unnamed suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two they were killed with the sword they went out and went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute afflicted mistreated of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth faith endures Faith endures it all in order to possess that which is to be loved above everything else, God. This point in Hebrews 11 is made clear in Hebrews 3 um, when the, the writer says, For we all have this share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Faith holds on to that which is most precious. And let's go, if necessary, of everything else. And church, there is no version of biblical faith, there's no saving version of faith that does not include endurance. Jesus' self made this very clear. Matthew chapter 10, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Endurance is definitional to saving faith. Saving faith is something that is beautiful, it's complicated, it's intricate. It's, it's one thing and it's many things combined. I was walking down our farm road the other day and I looked over, and coming up out of the leaves was a daffodil. Right? And that little daffodil is going to get shocked probably this week. Right? It made his appearance just a little bit too early. But this, that's what faith is. That's what these stories tell us faith is it's, it, it, it's like a flower. Yes, it's the petal. Yes, it's the stem. But it's also that intricate layer upon layer upon layer of petals that make up that flower. It's all of those things. And that flower is not as beautiful as it can be unless all of those things are there. And when you start to pluck off pieces of it, they start to wilt and die. And that's the way it is with faith. That's what James says in in James chapter 2. Faith by itself, if it does not have works... It's dead. Faith is not merely a belief. And that's a challenge for us because of the limit of our English language. Faith is is more than just reading the back of Jesus' baseball training card and seeing all the stats there about all the facts about him. It's a relationship that leads to more. James says this about faith. He says, you believe in God? That's awesome. That's Tony Forman version. You believe in God, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, but the demons are not saved because of that type of belief in Jesus. A faith that is only belief in a set of facts about God and his redeeming work is the faith of demons. It is not a saving faith. If what you believe about God does not make you move, does not make you go, If it does not at times make you wait on God's perfect timing, if it does not cause you to give sacrificially, if it does not cause you to pursue, if it's not strong enough to cause you to endure, then, church, it is not a saving faith. It's dead. It's false. It's a lie. Real faith is a complicated and glorious thing, it's a gift from God. That point is clear in Scripture. It is a decision. It is a receiving of Christ that's clear in Scripture. And it is a life of faithfulness. That too is clear in Scripture. It is the means by which we take hold of and identify with the promises, with the grace and the person of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God for the gift of faith. My question for you this morning is is pretty simple. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about all those things that that we receive when we receive Christ as our Savior. If you are an unbeliever today, I encourage you to look at that list. And the list that we looked at, though long, was only partial. And I encourage you to follow the Spirit's prompting, to give up control, to step into that new identity as a child of God. If you are a believer this morning, I want you to honestly consider, not just in passing thought, but honestly consider, is yours a saving faith? Or is it just a mere assent that Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Your, Your faith does not cause you to go, cause you to wait on him if it does not encourage you to give sacrificially in all aspects of your life, not just money, if it does not allow you to pursue and to endure, then I question whether your faith is a saving faith.